0: Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arne joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. That music means it's the last radio hour of the week, the hour of the Hillsdale Dialogue, where for years, Dr. Larry Arnand or one of his colleagues and I sit down and talk about something that lasts that matters. Occasionally, we will break and talk about current events. But more often than not, we are as we are here 2000 years back, almost 2000 to the date to to when Cicero wrote his dialogue on friendship, uh, because we're doing a series on friendship from here we go to Montaigne next week. Uh, Dr. Oren, I want to get right to this. We must lay down this rule of friendship, Cicero writes. Neither ask nor consent to do what is wrong. And I wanted to spend a lot of time on this because it's especially important for young people who mistake friendship for uh, pleasure. Often, uh, the kind of uh, the highest friendship has not got to do with the kind of pleasure, but they're out carousing, right? And what he says here, which I'm sure you run into on the campuses, you must not ask or consent to do what is wrong and a good friend will stop you
1: yeah it uh so that's right so uh first of all you can't depend on somebody who's not listening to the voice of the good because where are they listening to then they're listening to their interest to their wants their appetites and so those can conflict all the time. In fact, they conflict with each other. Whereas the right thing to do, and see, remember, it's very variable. Here's how practical wisdom works, right? There's two things you have to take into account, and one is the right thing. But the right thing doesn't exist in the abstract, right? Uh, would you shoot your neighbor's dog? Well, if it was about to kill your kid, it would, right? Yep. But absent that, that circumstance, it'd be wrong to do that, see? So it's always like that, right? There's two things that conflict, and you have to find, and Aristotle says, the, the truth exists in the circumstances, in light of all of the eternal things you know, right? And, but, but it is a truth, on the other hand. It's, it's when you find it. A well-made practical judgment is a discovery of the truth, right? So the point is, what what Cicero means here is if they're willing to do something that is false, right? And that means you know you ought not. It's apparent you ought not, and yet you do, and you
0: and, and the friend will check you. The friend yeah. will stop you.
1: And you're not. And see it it. it because, you, because these, this third and highest kind of friendship that Aristotle has identified, and, and Cicero does the same thing, is founded on virtue, that wipes away a world of conflicts, right? Because, uh, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln used to say about slavery, because they were always claiming property in the slavery, and we believe in property rights. And uh, Lincoln would say, there's no such thing as a right to do wrong. And uh, that's friends, friends are people, this kind of friend, there are people who have acknowledged that. Yes. And, and, you know, to go back here, think about our friends, you know, running for office so they can make us famous.
0: Yes, last um, year. Uh,
1: and maybe having to choose between them. That, that in, in a real friendship, that cannot impair the friendship. It might interrupt, for a time, the operation of the friendship. But as in Adams and Jefferson, it won't destroy it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. I don't want to go too far into that, which is off the record. But a couple of these would be presidents were over at your house to watch a football game, right? And they're friends. They're yeah. friends. Now they have to go around the country and argue with each other, and that need not destroy that friendship. What will destroy a friendship is if one of the other, and I can't imagine either of them or any of the people actually cheating. And there is a there's a section in Cicero's thing about our constitution has swerved from the regular course. And he talks about the blows to the ballot delivered by the Lex Gabinia, which I don't know what that is. It's a law. And afterwards by the Lex Cassia, I seem already to see the people estranged from the Senate and the most important affairs at the mercy of the multitude for you may be sure that more people will learn how to set such things in motion than how to stop them. And I thought to myself, Oh my gosh, Cicero was looking far down the road.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it makes you think we might be at the end of the road. Um it it uh so here, here's a, this by the way, this this dialogue, uh it's it's sort of like the spirit
0: uh everybody knows what the other club is, right? Yes, Churchill I, they and, don't, I do. Tell them it's Churchill's long chain Churchill started Anthony
1: it. Smith, his closest friend, Chevy Smith, was Chancellor of England and a Great lawyer and parliamentarian, they founded the other club, and uh, and that was a place where people in politics could meet and have civilized discussion. And the other club had bylaws, and uh, the first bylaw was the purpose of the other other club is to dine. Uh, another one was membership in, in in the other club is restricted. To those with whom it is agreeable to dine, and then nothing in the bylaws of the other club—and I'm quoting from memory now—is uh, meant to interrupt the asperity of politics.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, it was—it's. I just finished reading. Uh... Uh, Andrew Roberts' uh, book on Churchill. So the other club is there for decades after decades. People come and they go and they yell and they quit. And, and I remember the closest thing I was, and you'll remember the Hoover Society that our late friend Tom Fuentes put together, of which you will remember, and I was a member back in the 70s. My goodness, it was held at uh, RBF, Robert Byne, William Frost, and Associates in Newport Beach, and he would gather up. The conservatives of Southern California, of whom there were a few when we were young men, and they would sit around and they'd argue with each other. And because it was in the it was in the presidential cycle to which we averred last week, the Bush Reagan, some of those were pretty heated. I don't know if you remember it or not, but it was it was oh, pretty yeah. heated. But it it didn't do a dent to anyone's friendship.
1: No, no, and and you know it was uh, it was beneficial because people got to talk and understand. And see, just in, in a productive conversation, by the way, what you both understand comes to be known by both. What you each understand comes to be known by both. And that's, that's why it's stronger, right? And, it's, and, you know, those things, growing out of those things, I remember those days. Uh, I left California and it's now gone to pot. Nah, uh, fr- literally, yeah <laughs> literally yeah. it uh we learned a lot, right and, and, and cooperated you know, I, I've cooperated effectively in a way that was grand. You know, Tom Fuentes, the late lamented, he was a tremendous person, and uh, uh, he could host people and discussions that resulted in an intelligent direction
0: often. We are now recollecting, and I did not plan this, a mutual friend, and a good friend to both of us, and he was a good friend to many, and he was much despised by elites. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how despised Tom was by the would-be power brokers of the day, because he was much more ecumenical in whom he invited to his other clubs, and there were many other clubs in Tom's life.
1: Yeah, he always, he, he was a sucker for the young, and he he. He understood politics to be a matter of love, right, which produces enthusiasm. And so give them something to love. And, you know, there are rich people. There are rich people who are not like this, too, but there were some rich people there in those days. And they just really wanted to preserve the status quo and not upset the horses, you know, often because they've got a big project coming and they don't want anybody stopping it, uh, and so Tom would fight them, and that was very uh, injudicious
0: from one point of view. And, and he would gather in the Buck Johns and the Doy Henleys, and he would gather up the warriors for the right who had means about them, and John, Crean, and he would fight back when necessary.
1: Yeah, and, and then a horde of young volunteers. Yes. Right? I just love that. And, and, you know, those guys you named... Uh, Doy and Buck are still alive. Yep. Uh, you know, they're rich guys, right? But they're not rich like some of those guys they were going up against.
0: Oh, no. They were fearless, though. Oh, my yeah. gosh. What fearless guys. And they nothing nothing Buck Johns wouldn't start a fight over. Because he's like you from Arkansas, like cotton. Mm-hmm. He sounds it's just, just like you sometimes when you're getting excited. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm coming right back with Dr. On Friendship's End. A lot of this book is about when friendships end and when they have to end and how to end them and uh, how politics often steals into the middle of a friendship and ends them. Actually, i got enough time to, to ask you this. A gloomy temper and unvarying gravity may be very impressive, but friendship should be less unbending, more indulgent and gracious, and more inclined to all kinds of good fellowship and good nature. Yes. Yes, a thousand times yes. I'll be right back with Dr. Arndt. Don't go anywhere. on You Hugh it. Welcome back. You know, you're being influenced when you say about something. I might have written that if I had more time. Uh, and I had that impression many times in talking with Cicero uh, through the years. And Dr. Larry Arn is as my guest that, oh, I, I would have written that down if I had more time. Here's something, Dr. Arne, about friendship I wanted to ask you about. We make preliminary trial of horses. So we should have friendship and should test our friends and characters by a kind of tentative friendship. All right, tell me what that means in four minutes. Well, you have to know
1: them right because we, we human beings are not just ideas we're ideas embodied, and our bodies have to move and we have to move them and so we have to see them we have to, we have to both see them discuss a wide variety of things, and you have to see them act uh, and if you see them enough, you can you can rely on them. And you have to come to do that because friendship is so serious, right? You 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 give your heart to somebody. Actually what really happens is they capture your heart. But to be sure of that, you need to see them act. You need to see them grow. And uh and that, you know, so you know, the you know one of the greatest people who ever lived was Scipio Africanus the younger, and and just we we know that because he was beloved of Cicero, and Cicero is one of the greatest people who ever lived. You see, but that when when he tells these stories about him throughout this dialogue, those stories go on for a long time, and he says more than once. I knew I could rely on him, right? He would not betray any good thing. Well, to develop an assurance about that, it takes some time.
0: Yes, it does. And there are people that you learn in the course of those trials are not actually suited to be friends. Um, People who are always bringing up their services are a nuisance. (laughs) I told you this last week. The recipient ought to remember them. The performer should never mention them. Uh, And... I, I don't really think I have any people like that, but it did bring in mind whoever did a service to Washington who he considered a friend. You're a, something of a Washington scholar, mostly Lincoln and Churchill, but you know you're Washington. I know who Lincoln's friends are. I know Churchill's friends are, and I know the services they did to him, like Brandon Fox and, uh, and the others around Churchill and the other club. But who was Washington's friend?
1: Uh, that's very hard. You see, he was greater than the people around him. Yeah. Who were very great. Uh uh tempted to say Hamilton, who was rather like a son
0: to him. Hey, yeah, that's a protege. That's, that's a right. protege.
1: And uh and you know, Washington did not have a son of his own blood. And and uh he 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 missed that. Now uh You know the scene in Francis Tavern in Philadelphia when the army met for the last time to break up after the victory. And that's recorded in many places. I have a a wonderful lithograph of it on my wall in my office. And the point is, those people who served with Washington, Henry Knox and... and, uh, uh, Come on, come on, come on. Uh, I'm forgetting the names now, but they were... Uh, the, Nathaniel Green, they, uh, when, when they're. Hit uh, Knox. You're thinking of Knox, yeah. And when they go, when they go up to Washington to say goodbye, he embraces several of them tightly. And they're both crying. And Washington embraced them in part so he wouldn't display his tears. But they knew about them, you see? And, and, and just think what they did together, right? They, there was no hope through almost the whole of that war. And there was disappointment constantly, you know. Uh, Often there was no food
0: and no shoes either. Yeah, you know,
1: Washington couldn't, you know, they, it was, they were incompetent, right? They, there's no American loyal to the revolution who had ever moved a large body of troops. From one place to another, and the British just ran ring. and then they won. <laughs> right? That's just, you know, that's of course
0: that's friendship. Of course, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about when they add, and sometimes they do, like Burr and Hamilton, Adley. Don't go anywhere. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. The Hillsdale Dialogue, all found at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Dr. Larry Arne is my guest. We are doing a series on friendship. Next week, we'll move to Montaigne to uh, the uh, the essay on friendship, which is at the heart of his first book of essays. It's really beautiful. But I want to go to the gravelly part of Cicero, because in the age of Trump, many friendships have sundered. And Cicero anticipated this a long time ago, and he wrote these two paragraphs, which I want to read to Dr. Arn, so the audience can hear them and comment on it. If a change in character and aim takes place, as often happens, or if party politics produces an alienation of feeling, I'm now speaking, as I said a short time ago, of ordinary friendships, not of those of the wise, we shall have to be on our guard against appearing to embark upon active enmity while we only mean to resign a friendship. Our first object, then, remember that phrase, to resign a friendship. I love it. Our first object, then, should be to prevent a breach. Our second, to secure that, if it does occur, our friendship should seem to have died a natural rather than a violent death. Next, we should take care that the friendship is not converted into active hostility, from which flow personal quarrels, abusive language, and angry recriminations. These last, however, provided that they do not pass all reasonable limits of forbearance we ought to put up with. And, in compliment to an old friendship, allow the party that inflicts the injury, not the one that submits to it, to be in the wrong. Generally speaking, there is but one way of securing and proving and providing oneself against faults and inconveniences of this source, not to be too hasty in bestowing our affection and not to bestow it at all on unworthy objects. But if respect is gone, friendship has lost its brightest jewel. Now, I kind of imagine in the era of Trump, Dr. And you hold the high end of the bridge and I hold the low end of the bridge trying to keep the bridge open. So that the, the, the friends of freedom don't fall to fighting with each other forever. But we haven't been very good at this.
1: Yeah, it's a bad time about that. Uh, it, uh, you know, so f- first of all, to all you young people out there who should be in school instead of listening to this, um, as you get older, you learn something that you might not know when you're young, and that is people never go away. If you know somebody well... You're likely to know them thirty years from now, Yep. And so, it's not a good idea to make an enemy unless you have to. Uh, just why it's you know two rules of life. Don't try to tell. Don't try to make anybody do anything they don't want to do, because that you can't be successful at that at all. Uh, and the other is try not to make enemies. Especially, he's talking about of people who've been friends, and so. You know, this Trump thing has been wounding. I've been surprised by it. Uh, I try not to say bad things about the people who differ with me about that. And what, that what, that's
0: what, one of my rules of life, man. And there is no upside and downside. Yeah. There is never any upside in critiquing people who have disappointed or angered you out loud. None. Zero. And see, I've, I've also tried to carry myself moderately
1: as opposed to Trump. I, I, think, uh, I think two things that have, that have guided my action. One is, I didn't endorse him until the choices between him and Hillary Clinton. Right. And that just looked really easy to me. Uh, and then the second was, there are some things that he fought hard about that I think are central, uh, which, which mainly is the governing of the American people by the bureaucracy. And their assigns in the academic world and the fortune 50 and the congress and them. so i you know i fear that Uh, i think that's going to overcome us if we don't stop it uh and so he wanted to fight about that so i supported him but i can see why people wouldn't uh what i can't see is you know so i don't do i don't agree with them means there's some things i can't see but you, you better for us not to be enemies. And uh, so I try to do that. I think I do it okay. No, and I so, do, too.
0: I, I try and give people an argument as well. Yeah,
1: that, that, yeah you can argue. Yeah. See, I have the privilege of not being a blogger. Uh, and uh, also, I don't read them.
0: Uh, and you're and, not on Twitter.
1: No, I mean, well, God help us. I'm, I'm uh, you
0: know, Someone I mean, should have a Dr. Larry Arn parody account from Hilda. <laughs> I've just put a very bad idea into circulation, Dr. Arn. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, uh,
1: it, you know, you, Hugh Hewitt, see, we've been friends a long time now. Uh, you said to me years ago, some, some email full of warning, I had to get people who are experts on Twitter because there can be these waves that will come upon you and da-da-da-da-da. Well, I, you know, we we have huge social media accounts, uh, as, enormous. Yes, and, you know, I mean, maybe the biggest of any college is certainly very big, and we put stuff on them all the time. I don't pay any attention to them, and uh, and you know, and what I know that happens on Twitter and Facebook is what people send me, and they need to be people I know for me to see it, right? Because I'd be deluged, and and. The main thing is, uh, it's not compatible with teaching Aristotle or taking the long view in politics to make up your mind uh, in bits of five minutes, ten times a day, and publishing it, right? I mean, I can tell you, Winston Churchill wrote and talked more than Cicero and published
0: all the time. Not every day, not all, not, you know, and oh, he, he talked was, every day and he is remembered by someone for everything he ever said. It just didn't make its way into the permanent record.
1: Yeah. And, you know, in a and see a parliamentary debate, you know, that's like if he wrote a speech or a big speech in parliament, he worked on it for hours. And also, it's always set in a context, right? Especially in parliament. The other guys are across the way. And, you know, they say something and you say something. So that's different, right? Uh, I think.
0: Anyway. Oh, I got to pause you here. You've just made me think of something. He only got angry with a parliamentarian. And I can recall, I mean, really visibly, violently angry when someone attacked Randolph, with whom he often himself would argue. But they went into the smoking room and Churchill tore him a new, a new opening so that he could hear how angry he was. Yeah. Do not attack my son. You are not my friend. That was something. Yeah, he, uh, uh, there are several instances like that.
1: Uh, he, uh, uh, there was a, in the tw- 20s, there was a scandal column in the Evening Standard. I can't remember the name of the column, but they, the, the, the particular thing was entitled Statesman in the Smoking Room. And what it said was that Winston Churchill, who was the chancellor of the Exchequer and about to become, wanting to be prime minister, which is true, and the chancellor, chancellor of the Exchequer is the second job in the cabinet, is ingratiating himself in the smoking room. And people reply uh, report that he's different than he used to be. And, you know, there is some suggestion of unctuousness, And Churchill took serious offense at that.
0: Oh, he and should. And, uh, I hate that insinuation about anyone.
1: And, you know, he's, he's just going around. You know, he, he was in Parliament for more than 50 years, right? And so it, uh, he's just going around doing his job, talking to people. And he loved the life of Parliament. And I think the thing that ticked him off about that was the disruption of that life, to drag that out in public and then put a, put a, put a cast
0: on it. As, as though you had a listening device in on the other club, which yeah. would have destroyed it. I got
1: mad at the college paper one time because, uh, uh, and they're very good, you know, and I don't fight with them. But they they, would, they they station people at the lunch table, you know, where I'll talk about anything anybody brings up. And then they were reporting on it. And, and, you know, I said, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, you know, because... You, you know, okay, so I'm an official around here, right? I'm also a member of the college community. And one of the ways that I learn and act in the college is by talking to people. And also, I have some influence that way. And so, if everything I do is turned into something official and reported, then I am compromised. And you're not
0: big enough to do that. <laughs> and, and so it ended? Yeah, it ended. Now, I want to go, before this segment is over, if respect is gone, friendship has lost its brightest jewel, that's when you have to actually end it. Now, there are ways to end it, like he talks about, but if you no longer respect your friend, for whatever reason, he or she has done, you have to end it. Uh, Churchill was a very good friend, and uh, had some really great friends. But
1: here's the thing. Churchill. One of the things about Churchill was, Churchill would not tell a dinner lie. I'll tell you what reminded me of this in just a minute. That means, I'm sorry I can't come. I'm busy. You know, I've got to, you know, take care of my grandmother. Uh, He wouldn't, if that wasn't true, he wouldn't say it. And so there exists in the Churchill Archive several instances of things like this where he wrote to powerful people. I do not think in the current state of our relations it would be advisable for us to die. He would say things like that.
0: Good for him. I'm going to use that. He also we got to do this in 1 minute. The king before the king was his great friend and Churchill defended him. Then the king became the Duke of Windsor and became a problem and eventually uh an obstacle. What did what did he do publicly about the king who once he once he became the duke? What would he say? Would he ever criticize him publicly even when he lost respect for him?
1: No. Well, in, in very delicately. You know, the bad time was in 1940-41. When the, when the Duke of Windsor was over in France, and you know he had Nazi he had sympathies with the Axis powers. I wouldn't Nazi sympathies probably too much. He was not a good guy, and so he get he hears from the brother who's now the king, who never wanted to be the king, the father of the current Elizabeth II. Uh, my brother says he's going to come back and give some speeches about the war, and Churchill wrote him a letter and said, "I remind you that you are a." Field Marshal in the British Army, and subject therefore to all of the rules of court martial, you have been appointed to a post, government governor general of the Bahamas, and you are to report to your post forthwith. <laughs> you know, so he, he wrote him that letter. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, later, I, I've only known this for a while because we finished the document volumes for the Churchill biography. And, couple of years ago, and we went through them all in detail to get them ready and publish them. The uh, Duke of Windsor wanted to come to the coronation of Elizabeth the Second, which was in 1953, and Churchill was the prime minister. And the family, you know, there's ructions. How will he be treated? How much will, you know, all this, you know, all the little signs of honor? And Churchill's correspondence with him was very agreeable. Uh he, he uh, wrote Churchill confidentially and Churchill smoothed some things out uh, and you know he, I, it's not in the correspondence but he probably had assur- assurances of good behavior Yeah, the, that's the letters what, certainly imply <laughs> that
0: they must and have a, spoken
1: and they of course were. Hitler was gone now there wasn't anything uh, to fight
0: about stand by, we're coming back one more segment on Cicero America stand right by <laughs> back, America. We have finished the the second hour on Cicero. I want to conclude it the way he concludes. It is virtue which creates and maintains friendship, and friendship shines brightest when it is among men of the same age. And I think both of those are important because the same age is, you know, they're give or take five, but there is going to be a, a unity of experience in history there. Uh, that Washington and Knox, for example, would have lived, uh, and and Churchill and Effie Smith lived until Smith died. It is really kind of a takeaway, Dr. Arndt. you, you, you got to have friends, and you need them as you get older. We might come back to Cicero on old age, because I think that's a very fine book as well, but, but he's talking about the good life, and the good life is, and you'd better be exiting before your last best friend. Who was that of Churchill when he was 91 and living there in London? Well, that's the problem with living
1: so long. By the way, it, uh, they're they they're all dead. Uh, but no, he had uh, he, the person who took care of him was not a friend. He Anthony Montague Brown was his his name. But you know he loved and you know later in his life Brendan Bracken who died before Churchill, uh, Effie Smith died before Churchill. So the people, you know, there were plenty of people. Oh. Anthony Eden, who died before
0: churchill churchill yeah.
1: uh, they you know they were his old colleagues uh Lord beaverbrook you know they Churchill loved him except when he didn't and uh, <laughs> and, and they stayed in touch, you know, and you know Harold Macmillan, a younger man who sort of came into prominent politics under Churchill's sponsorship in the twenties and became prime minister uh, he was. He was very dutiful about talking to Churchill, and uh, talked to him a lot about the Suez crisis that brought brought down Anthony Eden, and uh, uh, so yeah, there was, and you know, she, but but you know, kind of, you know Aristotle Onassis, right? Churchill would go ah, on yes. his on his boat, you know. But Churchill, by then, you see, anybody he meets, like because Churchill, I've said it before on the show, he, he becomes the greatest man in the world. You know, everybody acknowledges that he stood alone. He's eloquent, won all the prizes. And so
0: he couldn't really make a friend. Well, that reminds me of, of the queen. She's a great lady. She's alone once Philip dies. I, you know, I pray for her occasionally when I think of it, because she, it's just an incredible burden to be the sovereign of a great country, one that is currently in the front line and actually leading the West more than we are. And she's the sovereign talking to him, and and there's just nobody around, right? Yeah, that's see, and remember, we
1: should we should emphasize this point: uh, the most durable thing in human affairs is virtue which means the love and practice of the good and that's the whole point of human life it is to live like a human meaning an excellent human and there there, there there's no constancy in life except in that direction and therefore there's no constancy in friend, friendship except built upon that and then you you value your friend because they teach and and inspire you and give you the chance to do the same in relation to them. And that's why he loves Scipio, and that's why Churchill loved Birkenhead. Churchill wrote a book, if you're interested in character sketches about friends, Churchill wrote a book about, about, it's called Great Contemporaries.
0: It's a fantastic, maybe the first Churchill book I ever read. It's a fantastic book.
1: It's awesome, and if you want to see a picture of friendship, read, uh, uh, the one on Effie Smith, Churchill's probably best.
0: For- That's Lord Birkenhead for the benefit yeah. of the Steelers. Thing. And it's
1: just, it's just beautiful, right? And there, and uh, another thing uh, on the passage we talked about just before this, Churchill does not make harsh judgments about almost anyone. Uh, Lenin, he does. Hitler, who's you know in charge of Germany, he he makes harsh judgments about him. But also he pulls his punch. The, the point is, he says, the, the title is Hitler and His Choice. And, and the question is, how is he going to choose? And, uh, uh, but then other people that he had fights with, knockdown dragouts, right? He, he writes about them vividly and mostly about their qualities.
0: You know, you've just added to our, our list. I had forgotten the F.E. Smith. We're going to do Montaigne, then Madison on friendship, and then we're going to wrap up and move to the history of the English-speaking people. But I think we have to add that essay on on F.E. Smith. Because yeah, that's actually it. accessible to everybody. And that's a, that's a good addition, not surprisingly, to our course on friendship. Dr. Larry Arney, friend indeed. Thank you for everyone who wants more of this. and You want to go back to the Aristotelian beginnings. They're all collected over at iTunes, uh, the Hillsdale dialogues, or you can go to hillsdale.edu. And when you go to hillsdale.edu, you'll get trapped in the Aristotle course on ethics, which will be good for you. We may end up playing it here, but don't wait for me on that. And in the meantime, everything Hillsdale over at hillsdale.edu. It is, it's, it's now ap- late April, Larry Arn. Can people still get admitted to college for the, for the fall? Um,. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> it be. You better hurry up, and then of course you juniors better to get started before it's too late. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to Hillsdale.edu.